Hey guys, this is Kendall and welcome to my personal podcast. I'm so excited to record conversations with my favorite people that I can keep forever. So feel free to listen along as I stop talking and pass the mic. Okay, so we're going to have my dad give his testimony on this. Awesome. I'm just going to let you take it away. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well... Um... Thank you, Kendall, for having me on your, your podcast. And I always love to share my testimony, especially when it's to my daughter and on her podcast. And I can't wait for millions of people to hear this. Because <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, we want the whole world to hear about Jesus. So God changed my heart um, a long time ago, about 30 years ago, to be exact. I've given my testimony a, a number of times in a number of different ways, but... I like to do it kind of chronologically. So really, I, I grew up in Boston, northeast uh, of Boston, in a little town called Manchester-by-the-Sea. And I was an altar boy at our local Catholic church. And so that was really fun, um, and I enjoyed that. And then we moved to Florida, and I lived in Florida for 25 years. We moved to Florida in 1981, and uh, we would still go to church, and I you know, still you know, knew about God, but I didn't really know much about a relationship with him. Um, I, I knew that he existed. So I did have a, a foundation of kind of right and wrong, but I didn't really kind of understand, you know, who Jesus was, how much he loved me and, and a number of other things. But as I, I grew up, uh, you know, playing golf all the time. So really go- golf was kind of my God for a long time. And Played well enough to get a scholarship to the University of Florida, and that was, so that was great. But I really didn't get into a lot of trouble, so to speak, in high school, just a few times. Oddly enough, with my best friend, Mark Alfieri, my best friend's brother was asking, we were talking about some spiritual things, and he asked me if I would go to heaven. <laughs> and I said, hmm, I don't, I don't know about that. After four and a half years at the University of Florida, I don't think I would be going to heaven. Um, although I didn't do anything out of the... Uh, ordinary that's what normal college kids do boys especially so that night was very interesting I was kind of afraid because I did know right from wrong and I felt like I hadn't lived a life worthy that you know that would be that God would approve of uh, up until that point and so I kind of got afraid and you know I wondered if something happened to me if I died what would happen to me and so I started asking some deeper questions and so the next day I woke up and I told him I was afraid. And he said, that's okay. Proverbs 1, 7, fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so that verse became really uh, important for me because I didn't know that you could fear God. And that's actually a, a good thing. I kind of started my walk. And that day um, I asked Jesus into my heart. He kind of led me in a prayer of salvation. And that was January 8th or 9th of of nineteen ninety two and I had just graduated Florida and I was embarking on my professional golf career and so that was really when my my journey started with the Lord you know it's been a sanctification process all through these years you know when you say nice things about me and you say people a lot of people love me it's because God changed my heart and um, I've often told you about the fruits of the Spirit, which I see evident in your life. You know, when we have the fruits of the Spirit in our life, Christ really shows. I think that's obviously, you know, 
our big mission statement is to, uh, I've heard, you know, pastors say, you know, preach the gospel always and when, when necessary, use words. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think life, living your life properly and through the fruits of the Spirit um, is really important. And I think that's the advantage that we have as Christians, quite frankly, because God's Holy Spirit comes inside of us and lives and dwells in us and teaches us right from wrong. And it's still a struggle because the sinful person and the flesh is still inside and it's battling the spirit. And so that's why I think you see a lot of, you know, Christian people, you know, do things that, you know, you know, they fall away and it happens to all of us, you know, in certain levels. But, you know, the spiritual man is in conflict with the flesh and that's a struggle for the rest of our lives. But fortunately, we do have victory. And of course, on Easter Sunday, um, you know, it's even extra special because we know that the tomb is empty. Um, but I mean, I have so many stories in my Christian walk. Most of them are golf related because God really got my attention through my, my career. And a few years into my professional career, I was in third place going into the last nine holes. So I was in good shape to have a chance to win it. And it was a par five. And of course, I was a young, aggressive player. So I always went for everything. So it was over this big cavern, and I went for the green. I hit it to the right, and we looked around for just about five minutes, and I didn't think I would, we would find it. And then I found my ball. Um, it was actually a Titleist 7, um, which is unique because I used to hit um, – they make five, six, seven, eight golf balls. So found it, hit it, <laughs> didn't go very far, hit it again. Finally got up by the green, chipped it up to the hole, and I had a putt for bogey, and I marked my ball, and I picked it up. And it was actually an old beat up title of seven. And it wasn't my ball. And so I was like thinking, oh, I'm disqualified or, um, you know, I, I, I don't know what the penalty was going to be because I, I had never kept hitting the wrong ball over and over. But so the rules official came up. He said, well, you're not disqualified. He said, but you're not going to really like the, the, uh, the alternative is, you get a two-shot penalty for hitting the wrong ball, and you get a two-shot penalty for a lost ball. So you got to go back to the fairway, and you're hitting six. <laughs> well, I ended up making a 10 on the hole. And, you know, it cost me about $10,000 in those days. That was, like, you know, a huge amount of money because, essentially, you know, as a young professional, you got to make money so you can keep playing. So I went home that night and failed to mention is I actually hit the wrong ball once in college. <laughs> it became something that I didn't want to happen again. The reason I tell this story is because a lot of times in life, you know, bad things happen or things can be perceived as bad. And it turned out that, you know, when I was um, contemplating what I would do, I decided to write Bible verses on my golf balls. I was full of zeal and energy when I first did it. So I used to go Old Testament one day, New Testament another day, (laughs) Old Testament, New Testament. So I'd switch every day. And so then, you know, occasionally guys would ask me, you know, what I was playing with or caddies or, you know, score keepers like, well, what's that verse say? And I'm like, ooh, I, I, I actually forgot what that one said. So I decided after that happened a few times, I um, decided I would just do one Bible verse for the week and that would kind of carry me through. Um, that was a fun thing to do. I would obviously hand my golf ball to kids and people and score keepers. And, you know, not long after that, um, my faith was really encouraged. I was on the Nike tour. I was, you know, playing a tournament and close to the lead. Uh, I think one shot back. Um, I think going into the uh, the last hole on on Saturday, and I hit my ball way right into a creek, and I was 
I was um, not exactly thrilled, but <laughs> I didn't really want the ball. But I saw it, and it was in the hazard. A volunteer was like, hey, your golf ball's right there. You want it? I'm like, no, you can have it. So I dropped a new ball, hit it. I ended up making bogey on an easy par five. And instead of being one or two shots back, the guy behind me birdied it, so I was four shots back. Well, the next day, um, walking to the driving range, the, the same guy came up to me. He's like, hey, I went down there and got your golf ball. I happened to have Matthew 633, which became my life verse. He went down there and gra grabbed it. And he's like, hey, I just became a, a new Christian like two weeks ago. And he said, you were really nice yesterday. And I went home and read that verse. And I just wanted you to know that's really encouraging to me. And so that really was really exciting because I thought, wow, that's really, you know, fun. I can, you know, share the, share the gospel. And I didn't even really do anything out of the ordinary. I just, you know, spreading the word on my golf ball. And so, you know, obviously in Matthew 633 is... Seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness, and basically everything will be okay. <laughs> um, so, so that was a fun story, and um, you know, again, that kind of, um, you know, that's kind of the story of me putting golf balls on my on my golf uh, or putting biovers on my golf ball, and so that was something fun I um, did all throughout my career. And then, yeah, really, next the next story is meeting mom, you know, on Easter Sunday, 1995, my rookie year on tour. Fellowship of Christian Athletes asked me to, to speak on Easter Sunday and basically give my testimony. And, you know, mom was in the stands with, with Papa, of course. Obviously, we started dating a few years, or about a year later, and, and then all you guys were born in Florida. But, you know, 95, I was a rookie. I didn't play well. I had some back problems. I was struggling with my swing. And so I thought I was going to be on the PJ Tour forever, and I was on one year and off the next back to the Nike tour, which was really tough to, to swallow because I felt like I was capable of much more. 1996, 1997, 1998 were all years that I played good, but not good enough to get back on the PGA tour. In those years, God was teaching me, you know, and, you know, continue to sanctify me. And I was learning about the game, learning about life, learning about growing in my faith. I realized in those, those years that as a passionate golfer and professional, I had aspired to, you know, win big tournaments, majors, and wanted to be one of the best players in the world. And it was frustrating because I wasn't really improving like I wanted to. And I was still on the Nike tour those years. I realized that, again, as a, as a Christian and a, and a young golfer, I always felt like God's number one goal for me was to be on the PGA tour winning tournaments for him, for his glory. And, of course, you know, flesh, my flesh also wants it for my glory and, you know, for, for me winning tournaments. But, but generally speaking, I really felt like that was God's calling for my life. And so it was really frustrating when it wasn't happening. And, and in those years, I learned that, you know, God's number one goal for me was not to be on the PGA Tour, it was to be like his son. And that's, quite frankly, God's goal for all of us is to conform into the image of his son. And so... I had messed up my priorities where I had golf at one. And even though I was a young Christian and following God and following Christ, I didn't really put him one. And I learned in those years that he needed to be number one. And so that's why Matthew 6.33 became my life first. And so I think when you go back to a lot of things in life, if we mess up our priorities, then um, you know it's going to negatively affect our, our lives. 
I just felt that was that was a great lesson in those years, and it prepared me for the next story, which is really kind of what my golf career really is about. As I look back, and that led into 1999, where I had you know, really serious neck surgery. My neck would hurt me, you know, three or four times a year. And anyway, I hurt my neck lifting weights. I got an MRI and it realized I had a really bad herniated disc, ruptured disc at C5 and C6. So I sent my MRI to three doctors, met with them, and they all said I had to have surgery. So I went in for surgery. We picked one in Arkansas that had done the surgery a number of times. Six to eight weeks, I was supposed to be chipping and putting and, you know, back to basically full strength and, you know, The bone does have to fuse, so maybe, you know, four to six months, I'd be back to full strength. Well, during the surgery, my spinal cord got damaged, and um, when I woke up, I couldn't walk, and I couldn't move my left hand and my left side, and it took me seven days to walk. It took me, um, you know, number of months just to start moving my hand, but as I was sitting in the hospital bed (laughs) and I couldn't move, I realized that you know, things were going to be okay. And there was a peace over me, even though I had such desire to be a professional golfer at the highest level, I just was able to just realize that God's in control. And he gave me a peace at a time that, that I, that I needed it. And, you know, if that had happened five years prior, I don't think I would have been ready for that, that trial. And, um, you know, it was a, it was a pretty bad situation, but I just felt like if, you know, if I can't play golf again, then I'll find something else to do. Went through therapy for six months to a year to see if I could get back and be a professional golfer again. I was obviously a longer hitter and had a lot of power. And so when I was trying to make a comeback, I could only hit it about 220 yards. I usually hit a 320. Eventually, I got to hit it about 260. Mom and I decided we'd, you know, give it another shot in 2000. We started back up playing on the Nike Tour again. The first six months of the season didn't go so well. I was, you know, it was challenging, you know, coming back, hitting it, you know, 40, 50, 60 yards shorter. And then I had a good tournament halfway through the season, lost in a playoff in a tournament, and I thought, okay, maybe I can, you know, be good again or, you know, compete. And at the end of that year, I'd missed tour school to get back to the PGA Tour by like two shots in the second stage. So I was going to be on the Nike Tour again. And mom and I just prayed. We just said, hey, Lord, I, I don't know how much better or stronger I can get. We're just going to, we're going to give it one more year. We'll, we'll try one more year. We, we can do it for a year and we'll give it a shot. And if it doesn't work out, we'll move on. That kind of freed me up to, you know, you were a baby. <laughs> I mean, I had my surgery a month after you were born. She took care of you guys and I just practice every day the first tournament that year was in Gainesville obviously I went to college and so the tournament director gave me a sponsor's exemption and I had knew that I was going to get an exemption about six to eight weeks before the tournament and so I was extremely motivated to practice so I, I worked really hard on my game for six or eight weeks and it was slow progress but there was progress and then I was playing in some local mini tour events and I remember just before that tournament I shot like 65 I thought all right I'm, I'm, I'm playing some decent golf now things really started to click. I remember in Scranton, Pennsylvania, of all places, my brother, who was really kind of my swing coach, I had longtime teacher, Mr. Rick, who was like a father to me, father figure, uncle to me. He was my teacher growing up, and I just talked to him today on the phone. He's very inspirational to me. He's 90 now. And then Todd Anderson helped me a lot. He's a very well-known teaching pro. 
And then my brother obviously was kind of the one that I would talk to all the time because he was a lot, you know, very accessible and he studied the game his whole life. And so he was catting for me that week and we were watching a lot of Ben Hogan tapes and just some things clicked on how to move my, my lower body and my legs and my hips properly to become consistent. I learned how to hit it really straight <laughs> in certain conditions when the course was really long, I could really excel. A month later, I finished seventh in a tournament, and then I won the same tournament that I had won seven years prior in South Dakota. And my good friend George Peterson, who I stayed with in that tournament, caddied for me, and, and we won it. So that was pretty uh, exciting that, to, to know that I could get back and play some really good golf at that level. One of my favorite possessions that I don't have anymore because we lost in a move, when you win a tournament on a PGA-sanctioned event like a Corn Ferry or PGA Tour or Senior Tour, they send you all of your scorecards in this big plaque. And when I won, I could hardly talk. I was so emotional when I finished my round. I played really well. I, I shot like, I don't know, 16 or under or 15 under or whatever it was. But you could see my first round, you know, you could see my signature Pat Bates and Pat Bates and round three Pat Bates. And then my fourth round signature, my, you know, when, when I get emotional, I couldn't really move my hand very well. <laughs> And so my my signature was like the scribble, <laughs> and you, it was totally different than all the other three signatures. And so it just spoke volumes of like how emotional that was for me to come back and win. As that year went on, I won the last two tournaments, ended up getting the Battlefield promotion, and finished second on the money list, and was back onto the PGA Tour. And so it was just an incredible ride, um, and to to get back to play the PGA Tour again. Um, after going through really serious surgery and my swing speed, you know, was 20 miles an hour less than it was when I was younger. And, you know, God just really blessed us. And we had some great time on the tour the next few years. I finished 123 in the money list two years in a row. So I played three more years. You know, mom saw me before, mom saw me after. She was there along the way. And so it was really cool to share with her. You continue to put God first. He's going to work things out for you. You know, obviously your family's second. And so I, through the years, I always felt you know, it was important to spend time with my kids and my family and, and invest in them and know that they're loved and know that God loves them. And, you know, if God didn't chart change my heart 30 years ago, I would probably be in my third marriage and, you know, my life would probably be a mess. So I'm very thankful that, you know, that God did change my heart and that somebody shared Jesus with me and was very, you know, poignant in questions. And I wasn't really going through anything really difficult at the time you know I was a young professional and I was kind of excited about my career but when faced with a simple question of you know are you going to heaven I didn't really have an answer and I wanted one and he gave me that mommy and I just celebrated 25 years we always say around our house that you know family is like a slice of heaven and um, we love each other and we sacrifice for each other and obviously being a Christian has made me a way better father and husband there's always time for to make time for your kid helping them grow I mean we Today's message was a lot about doubting and questions. I remember tucking you to bed all these years. I mean, I would put the boys to bed in like five minutes, and I would spend 20 or 30 minutes, sometimes an hour with you. And you would always ask me questions, what about this, Dad, and what about God, and what about that? And, you know, I didn't always have all the answers, but I had enough of them, I think, that encouraged you and that you knew knowing Christ was really important and that it's okay to have questions and ask. And if I didn't have an answer, I'd go look it up and try to have it the next night. There's nothing like being a father. It's wonderful. And then watching your kids grow up is so fun. Anyway, that's uh, 
that's the you know short, long, middle version of my testimony. There's nothing more I love than giving my testimony because that's really what God um, has done in my life. And um, you know, there's nothing more important than than um, talking about it. So cool! It was 27 years ago today that you gave your testimony on Easter Sunday. Yes. One of my first memories growing up is helping you write Bible verses on your golf ball. I remember before you would leave, we would sit, and it would normally be in red, right? Yeah. You'd have red yeah. sharpies, and then you'd leave, and I'd cry <laughs> and cry. Yeah. It was, those were, those were, it was tough to leave you guys. But when you all were younger, it was actually easier before you started school because you really didn't start school till about 2005. We traveled a lot together when you were, guys were younger, and that was actually easier. And we used to always say, you know, home was where we were all together because <laughs> we traveled so much. But, um, yeah, it became harder when you guys started school and had to stay back, and then I, I had to leave a lot. I have a few little questions that I came up with before this. So, first one we're going to start about is, you've talked about writing a book someday. So can you tell us what it would be called <laughs> and what it was about? I know yeah, yeah we've, ta- we've talked about that. Yeah. Gallardia, which is a country club uh, in Oklahoma City, the second hole faces uh, Mercy Hospital. And literally, where you aim on the second hole, at the top of Mercy Hospital is a cross. Every time I get to the second hole, I aim for the cross. If I ever wrote a book, it would, it would be called Aim for the Cross. You know, God did some pretty amazing things with me, the way my body was, my weakness. You know, he, he made me strong. And it would be about, obviously, putting God first, because that's obviously the, that's, that's what he tells us to do. <laughs> One thing about you that you do so well, I feel like, is you always make people feel so special when they walk into a room. <laughs> I don't know if that's just me, because you clap for me every time I walk in a room. <laughs> I just think I was actually a fairly shy person when I was younger. You know, I was um, I was not really big and strong. You know, as a teenager, you know, I was, kind of, I was shorter and thin, and so I really didn't get bigger until I was in college. And so, generally speaking, I was pretty shy. I was playing golf all the time, and so my personality developed over the years. And obviously, I joked that I'm dysfunctionally persistent, <laughs> especially in my golf. So. You know, golf is, is a very challenging game, and you know, a lot of times people are, you know, they have a good day, they're happy, a bad day, they're sad, a good day, they're happy, and so you learn that, you know, you're not going to worry about your score, it's not your self-worth, and so I've always wanted to be positive. That just kind of fell over into life. You know, I want to encourage people, and of course, I read a lot of Proverbs, and one of the verses I love is that says, he who, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed, and so I don't want to you don't want to drain people, you know, you want to refresh them. And so, um, so yeah, I, I have a good time. And that, it's a funny story because the reason we would clap for you guys walking into a room is because years ago when I, when I was playing, you know, junior golf and amateur golf, when we moved back up to New England, um, I practiced all the time at this course called Bass Rocks. I did well as an amateur and, you know, Florida Gator, all as an All-American. And so people followed my college career. And then when I turned pro, they kept following my career, the, the local you know, members and people that I play with all the time up there. And so when I played in a tour event, mommy and I were dating, I think. Um, and so we popped in after the last round and I was like, these, these guys are really funny. Like we're going to have a good time when you, when you meet some of the guys I used to play golf with all the time. And so we walk into the clubhouse 
and there's like 20 guys that are playing poker and gin and drinking and they just start clapping they just start yeah pat yeah yeah your pat's here that's awesome they're all they're all clapping for me and mom looks at me and we were dating but she's like oh my gosh they really do love you here and so so then we sat down with them and we were having a good time and then just some random person walked in like john smith let's call him like well some random member walked in it was nobody special but they all just started clapping for him and so it turned out they just were clapping for everyone who walked in the room because they were all just drunk they had a bunch of beers after they're playing and they were just having a good time and so I kind of as a spoof we would joke like when there's somebody would walk in the room and we would just clap for them like hey Kendall's home yeah Kendall and so that kind of became a, a fun little thing that our family did but it came from that's how that's that was the um the original story that we kind of played off of and it was just a fun thing because um you know we just try to have fun. If you can't have fun at home, then, you know, you know, life enough is school's hard. High school's hard. There's a lot of things going on when you're a kid, you know, and so we wanted our house to be a, a place that was going to be fun. One thing about you is always like your servant leadership. Like you're such a good servant leader. You've been such a good example of it growing up. And it's like something stupid, like getting someone a glass of water, but it's just like the mindset and mentality behind it. So like, how did you develop those skills? Well, I think, you know, part of that is, my personality and so I'm not really a domineering person you know generally speaking I'm, I'm I'm pretty fun loving and I don't order people around a lot I probably could do a better job at delegating certain things but I think this is really important for people all people really and especially Christians but it's really important to know what your gifts are and to know who you are I generally have the gift of encouragement and giving and when you say get a glass of water I'm happy to do it. And so, so I just, it's, it's fun for me to, to serve people and help people, but I just try to be the best version of me and doing that is the best version of me. And I, I probably could be, I could have been better at some discipline and things with my kids, you know, through the years, we gave you just enough discipline, but, um, we didn't have like a lot of rules in our house. If you put God first, you don't really need a lot. <laughs> um, if everybody has God's spirit inside them and they don't, they don't do a lot of bad things, so to speak. You really don't need a police force. You know, you're going to love love your neighbor. I mean, essentially, two important things. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do those things, then that's what you're trying to encourage your kids to do. But anyway, as far as serving and things, it's really, it's kind of natural. You know, I like to help and I like to serve. A lot of times it's easy. You know, it's easy things. From With my family and my kids, I was always doing what I could for you guys. And if I ever needed something, I knew because you saw me help that you would help me if I needed help. Even when it comes to mom, you know, if I need to help something, if I need to do the dishes, if that's what needs to get done, if I take it out the trash, if that needs to get done. So I just try to help as much as I can. I remember I had double foot surgery. <laughs> you know, I couldn't walk. I couldn't move for like those two weeks when we lived in Sherwood and you guys were getting me food and soup and everything and you were helping me out. If I said something, nobody would ever yell back at me like, oh, I'm not doing that, you know, because that's just not how we did it in our family. You know, they, you know that I would do something for you. Matter of fact, the only time I really get mad at anyone is if they have a chance to help the family and they don't. And um, so if, if you become selfish, then you're going to be whipped into shape pretty fast around our house. Mm-hmm. You talk a lot about enjoying the process. So can you elaborate <laughs> You know, our our pastor at our life church um, did a, a message series called "Pre Decide," and it was just you know in the last couple of months. So 
it's really important stuff. I was fortunate to learn, you know, a lot of those things um, from a Christian sports psychologist that I spent time with in the early 2000s, especially when I was coming back from my surgery. You know, and really in any sport, but especially in golf, we're trying to hit every shot with 100% focus and commitment. That's our job as a, as a professional. And so you don't have time to get upset about a shot or be lackadaisical over a shot. We try to get away from score and focus on that shot. And if we can do that time and time again, the score is going to take care of itself. And interestingly enough, when you have that mindset, you even go a step further and you decide before you tee off and before you play that no matter what happens out there, there's nothing going to stop me from focusing on every shot. You know, whether it's cold out, my tee time, who I'm playing with, if I get a bad bounce, you know, I'm going to focus on every shot. And so you have to decide that ahead of time because if you don't, then circumstances will come upon you and you let your emotions get the best of you. And so you learn at the highest level of an athlete that you make decisions ahead of time so that when it, when they come, you're ready for them and you're already going to decide how you're going to react to them. And so we've spent a lot of time on that. And matter of fact, the word called volition, uh, he told me about that word and, and, and it means the will to choose. This is Dr. David Cook, by the way, who um, was great. And so when I realized, wow, I have a choice how to react, you know, that, that really made an impact on me and allowed me to, you know, get out of my own way, not to be, uh, it doesn't mean I, you know, I'm certainly not perfect. And there's probably days where I've, you know, maybe let a few shots get away because I'd get to let the best of me, but you can apply that to other parts of your life. Very exciting, Kendall. I yeah, like I said, I, I mean, I've given my testimony a number of times. And now I have this for forever and ever. Very exciting. Uh, thank you for letting me be on your podcast. I don't even know what to say. I'm just, I love you so much, and I think you're awesome. Um, you have lots of natural gifts that God's given you with, and you're using them for His glory. You know, with with you and, and your brothers and and everyone I come in contact with, especially my kids. I think it's really important to see what they're good at, see what their talents are, and, and move them in that direction. Like, you know, nobody in my family is your golfers. <laughs> it's just, yeah. it's not something that, that was, they love to do. They love basketball more. And and then, you know, just, you see their talents and where they're gifted, and you try to encourage them in that. We're all going to have different gifts and, and talents. And so don't try to make them something they're not. Figure out what gifts and talents that God's given with, and, and you know, lead them in that direction. So true. But yes, very fun, Kendall Bates. Well, thank you. All right, love you too.